It's been about 36 years ago now, I think I made my first trip out of the country. It wasn't very far, but it was, it was a great trip down to Costa Rica, Central America. I went with a couple of friends of mine, great friends. She has passed away since, but James Matthews still lives. They were leaders of our mission group at the church where I was associate pastor at the time. And, uh, and I remember flying into Costa Rica and then going to the city of San Jose that sits up on, on a hill and, uh, or on a mountaintop and standing on the corner and buses going by with diesel fumes. And to this day, every time I smell diesel fumes, my mind goes back to the street corner in San Jose, Costa Rica. It's just, it's just an association that I automatically make. You know you've had that experience. You smell an aroma, you uh, perhaps hear a song, or you hear a word or a phrase that somebody uses, and it takes you back to a person, a time, or a place. And it can be nostalgic, uh, it can be encouraging, it can bring laughter, it may bring sadness, but uh, that's the association we have with these things, part of life experience. I find this to be true when I read through Scripture. There are times when I... I read certain scriptures and it automatically takes me back to a time that the Lord used that scripture to really impact my life and impress on me a particular truth. And that's true with the scripture we're going to look at this morning in Psalm 121. Inevitably, vividly, my mind goes back to my grandmother's front porch up on Curtis Creek in South Hominy, North Carolina. And uh, I'll tell you more about that uh, a little later. I've mentioned it here before, but... uh, But this psalm takes me back there. And this psalm is, uh, Psalm 121 is where we're going to go. This psalm is particularly appropriate for a new year because it's one of 15 songs of ascent. Uh, You'll see that when you open your Bible, more than likely it has that title, a song of ascent. So what is a song of ascent? Ascent obviously is going up. And so back in that day when the Jews were coming into the city of Jerusalem for their feast days. They had primarily three main feast days, Pentecost, uh, Passover, Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, which included the Day of Atonement. But they would come into Jerusalem, and Jerusalem sits on a mountaintop. And then within Jerusalem, the highest point in Jerusalem is where the temple sits. And so when you were going to Jerusalem, you had to go up. You ascended. When you went to the temple, you went up whether it's the stairs or the walkways. And so as they ascended, they would sing songs. And uh, these would be songs that would remind them of the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the discipline of the Lord, uh, His mercy, uh, His majesty, who He is. Just what we have sung this morning. We ju- we've sang songs that, that are intended, the message is intended to bring us back to the truths about who God is, how great He is, and our relationship to Him and what He's doing in the world. And so when, when we sing, hopefully we're singing with our mind and spirit fully engaged so that we sing the words with understanding. And we sing them to the Lord, we sing them to benefit one another, uh, but it's, it's, it's an act of worship. And that's what the, the people did, the Jewish people in that day. Interestingly, two of the feast days that they made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for were New Year's days. They had two New Year's. Did you know that? The Jews had two New Year's. They didn't settle for just one. They had the beginning of their religious year. We would call it religious. Their spiritual years began with Passover. And that was in in the month of Nisan, which would correspond to our late March, early April. And uh, 
And then they had their civil new year, which began with the Feast of Tabernacles, the Day of Atonement that was in the month of Tishri, which would correspond to our September, October. And so they had two New Year's. And this is one of the 15 songs of ascent that they sang. Now, did they sing this song every time they made a pilgrimage? We don't know. Maybe they picked out certain ones for certain years or certain times. But they sang these, and they were meaningful to them in terms of what they were focusing their attention on. As they looked at the year ahead, as they looked to their Lord, and as they looked back to remember the goodness of God, Uh, they would sing these songs of ascent. So we're going to look at one of those songs of ascent this morning. Uh, As they made their way to Jerusalem, made their way up to the temple, as they sang these songs corporately, it was their voice unified to honor and worship the Lord, but also it was very individual. Uh, You'll see that they speak both collectively and personally. And that's what we have just done. Collectively, we've sung songs together to the Lord, and hopefully, as, as the, the New Testament teaches us, we sing those songs and hymns to one another that we can teach and encourage one another. They did the same thing then. This is actually a song, and as you know, it's also a poem. It's Hebrew poetry. And it has basically four stanzas. Uh, the, the main theme for the whole psalm is in verses 1 and 2, and each of the other stanzas, the three stanzas, build on that. And with Hebrew poetry, it's, it's not a rhyming of words, but it's a repetition of ideas to reinforce and teach. And so that's what's going on here. So as we look at this new year ahead of us, uh, there are two things we can count on. One thing we can count on for sure is that uh, there's going to be difficulty. We're going to need help. Uh, you may be in the midst of it just now, as, as the Clarks have experienced, and I understand the Nelsons also had a flood in their basement. And so uh, these, these daily events of life, whether large or small, and whether good or bad, in our view, uh, the Lord wants us to know that he is present. And that's the second thing we can know. We know we have his presence, and we know we have his help. We know there's going to be difficulty. We don't know what it's going to look like. But we know that we have his help. I really appreciate the, the article that uh, Nate Buchan wrote for the, last, uh, the bulletin for last week, where he expressed that very thing. We don't know what's ahead, but we know who we know, and we know who our help is. And so let's look at this psalm, each verse, each stanza at a time, and think about some ways in which the Lord will be our help. This year, we can count on it. As we look ahead, we can know, even before we get there, that he is our help. It says in verse 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from which comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. We have help from the God who created this whole thing we see around us. We just came back from some time in the mountains. And uh, I I love the mountains. I've often said to family and friends, even a bad day in the mountains is a good day. It's it's just, uh, there's something about the the greatness of it, the majesty of it, and when you sit on top of a mountain and you look across to the other peaks, uh, there's something majestic about it. And we have a God who created that. He says, I will lift up my eyes. And so we ask the questions, to whom or what do we lift our eyes? The, The Jewish people 
looked to Jerusalem and looked to the temple in particular because the temple in Jerusalem represented the presence of God. He had told them, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell among you. Now, this was unique to Israel. Uh, now he indwells us as people of his body, of his church, around the world. It's not limited to geographical location, but at that point, God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell among you. And so they looked to Jerusalem and they looked to the temple as the place that represented the presence of God. But they, they made a mistake. And we, we learned about it in wonderful Sunday school that Mark taught this morning as he closed. The Jews got, got confused. They lapsed into unbelief. They, rather than taking God at his word and believing him, they began to synchronize or syncretize their beliefs with the, with the nations around them. And then they brought idols into the temple. And, and by the time of the New Testament, you know that the temple became something that they would swear by. They would look to the temple, not just what it represented or should represent, they looked to the temple, the physical thing, and it became an idol within itself. And so they would look mistakenly to Jerusalem and to the temple, and they would swear by it. They would, uh, it became something very physical, much more ordinary, rather than seeing the God beyond. And so they did what you and I can do. You think, what, what, are, what are we lifting up our eyes to right now? And what will we lift our eyes to this year? Jerusalem was their capital city. We can make a mistake in our own country, our own nation. We, we, we can get so involved in what's happening in Washington, D.C., with President and Congress, that we can get overburdened, and we can mistakenly think, well, if we could get things straightened out in Washington, then things would be better for me. And we, we can lift up our eyes to D.C. and to an increasingly centralized government and think that's where our security comes from in the future. That's where our hope lies. Now, I don't think we do that intentionally. Some people may, but as believers in Christ, we know that that's not the thing to do, but we can drift in that direction. We can get distracted and caught up. We can look to the company. We can look to our job or a paycheck for security. We can lift up our eyes to, to a degree that we're trying to earn, thinking somehow that'll guarantee us a secure future or perhaps a, a bank account. Uh, those of us that are in the retirement years, we can look and our, our emotions can go up and down according to what's happening with the stock market. And that's been a crazy ride lately, hasn't it? We can look to our mates or our parents. If we can just get things straightened out, if, if I can just get my parents straightened out or we can get my kids straightened out, then everything can be okay. And I can feel a little bit more solid and secure and stable and at peace. We, we can look at family, we can look at friends, we can there are all kinds of things that may be legitimate gifts that God has given us that really is there to help us. But ultimately, it's a mistake to focus our attention and our sense of security and well-being on any of those things. Those are temporary gifts that are sure to change and can be gone in a moment, as many of us know. And the Lord wants us to look beyond that. I will lift up my eyes. Going back to my experience at my grandmother's house, I remember back in the early 70s when I was a young married guy with a couple of small children, went to see my grandmother. She lived just a few blocks up the creek, we called it, from where we lived when I was a kid. And I loved to go back there. My grandmother lived in an old ramshackle house that, uh, amazing that it didn't fall down or burn down, but 
she was a lady who was content with what she had, and we would go visit her and loved to go. They loved her cooking, just loved to sit on her front porch because all around, as you looked, uh, there were mountains. And so at the head of Curtis Creek, just, it's encircled in mountains, and so I would sit on her front porch, especially enjoyed sitting on the porch later in the day around dusk just because of the contrast of the sky against the mountains. And I remember sitting there, and I had read Psalm 121, and I was reading it in the Old King James. And when you read it in the Old King James, it doesn't have a question mark at the end of verse 1. And so it reads like this, I will lift up my eyes... I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. And that's the way I had memorized it early on in the old King James. I I will lift up my eyes from whence comes my help. And in my mind, as a young guy, I was thinking of the Lord leading something of an army. And you lift up your eyes to the hills and he, he comes riding across the hills, so to speak. That's the way I had envisioned it then. And then as I read it, I realized that that's not the idea at all. I will lift up my eyes to the hills and then question. I lift my eyes to the hills, I see them. But where does my help come from? It doesn't come from the hills. It doesn't come over the hill. It doesn't come from anything earthly. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the one who made the hills. The one who made those majestic mountains or that vast ocean and beach. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It doesn't come from the earth. It doesn't doesn't come from anything natural, ultimately. It comes from the one who made everything that we see. And so I believe that what the Lord wants us to do is to to think about and consider. It's easy to read through that and probably became easy for the Jewish people to sing this on on their trips to Jerusalem and up to the temple and really not take time to meditate on what it means that I have a help that's literally out of this world. I have a help from a God who created and sustains everything we see around us. And in fact, that's reiterated if you look in, in, over in Psalm 123, verse 1 and 2. It says, Unto you I lift up my eyes. This is another song of ascent. Unto you I lift up my eyes, you who dwell in the heavens. Behold the eyes of the servant as the eyes of the servant looks to the master, hand of the master, as the eyes of the maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. And if you look over in, in 124, just two chapters over, verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, let's think just for a moment about the Creator. A few months ago, I had the privilege of speaking and, and talked about the theme of God as Creator and how that is constant throughout Scripture, how we, He keeps bringing us back, pointing us back to that idea. Once read a book called The Remarkable Spaceship Earth. I don't know how many of you know this. Uh, I remember learning it and then forgetting it and being reminded of it again. Do you realize that? The earth rotates at 1,000 miles an hour. You you kind of feel that tug off. 1,000 miles an hour. It can make a complete orbit in 24 hours. So how? what's the circumference of the earth, you mathematicians? 24,000 miles. A little bit more than that. Do you realize that 
Our Earth orbits the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. And do you realize that our solar system is moving through our galaxy through space at 515,000 miles an hour? Now you say, well, that's interesting. But what has that got to do with anything? You see, we have a God who created and designed the universe and holds it together and has set in place laws that govern it so that they can actually put a man in a, or a woman or a, or a bunch of them in a capsule on top of a big tank of fuel and explode that fuel and jettison those people into space and actually calculate the time for the liftoff and calculate how far they can go and where they'll go and what kind of orbit they will have or if they're going to go to the moon, they can get there and they can land. The reason they know that is because they know there are fixed laws about the rotation of the Earth, the orbit of the Earth, the movement of the, uh, of the solar system, all those things are so. I uh, recently read a book called uh, Saving Truth by a Muslim who became a Christian. His name is Abdu Murray, and he works with the Ravi Zacharias Ministries. And he making this point about uh, keeping clarity and in, 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 in truth concerning science and faith. Uh, let me just quote a couple of things from here. It says, our moon, quote-unquote, happens to be exactly 400 times smaller in diameter than our sun. And our sun happens to be exactly 400 times further from us than our moon. And so this allows for a perfect solar eclipse in which the disk of the moon perfectly conceals the disk of the sun. And you know what's remarkable about that? they can predict with preciseness exactly when these eclipses are going to take place. Why is that? Because there's design to the universe. There are laws set in place that you can count on. And we act on those laws every day. Even those that, that deny the, the existence of God and believe in, 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 in evolution, they, they act on laws that God has set in place. One other little interesting bit of information I picked up from Murray's book. Uh, he says, a few years ago, computer scientists from Japan and Germany were able to simulate one second, I guess that one second, of human brain activity through computers. But to do that, they had to connect 82,944 processors to one of the most powerful mainframes in the world. And even then, the vast array of processors took 40 minutes to simulate what your brain and my brain are capable of doing in just one second. In other words, our brains are 2,400 times uh, faster than the best computers the finest minds can assemble. And then you have to ask the question, as he asked here, how can blind, mindless nature outwit humanity's finest engineering minds? Isn't it incredible that we, I don't think there is a scientist anywhere that would say, given enough time, all these processors and computers could come together and they not only could do just one second. Now remember, this was just one second. It took them 40 minutes and all that mechanism that was designed to replicate one second of brain activity. Uh, and they're saying, it just, it's not just one second, but total brain activity, total 
the total explanation for all that's here. Time plus chance. You know, it, it, it not only defies the laws of science, it defies reason, doesn't it? So why do I use the time to say that? When it says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help? Well, my help comes from the Lord, who made all this, who made heaven and earth, who made our brains, who holds the molecules of life and existence together. That's the kind of help that you have this year. Whatever you and I come up against, whatever potential good or bad, whatever it is, we have his help. And, and this is the affirmation. So just as a summary statement, because we have the help of the great creator, trust in the strength of an all-powerful God this year. Make it your decision, your plan now, to place your trust in his strength, the strength of an all-powerful God who created all this that we see around us and holds it together. That's the kind of help you and I have. It's not limited to human help. It is magnificent what God provides. And that's what the Jewish people reminded themselves of as they went up to Jerusalem, as they looked to the temple, as they looked ahead to their worship. They were reminded as they began their new year, whether it be the civil or religious, that they had an out-of-this-world help. Then he goes on to say, this God who creates and holds all this together... He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Obviously, uh, these people, this promise was made to Israel that was sung as a congregation of people as they went up to Jerusalem. But God is not any different now than he was then. And he doesn't love his covenant people, the church, any less than he loved his covenant people, Israel. So these things apply to us. And and let me just say, uh, on the front end of this, we're not talking here about divine insomnia. Uh, God just can't sleep. There's so much going on. There's so much trouble in the world. There's so much he has to do, he just can't sleep. That's true of you and me, uh, but it's not true of him. Uh, It's not a God who uh, is running out of energy and needs time to rest because we worship and serve a God who is actually the creator of the concept of time and the creator of energy. He is life itself, and he exists beyond the limits of time and the constraints of energy. And so when it says he never slumbers, he never sleeps, it's not talking about him having so much to do he can't stop. In fact, what it's saying is you and I can sleep because he doesn't. It says he will not allow your foot to be moved as you look ahead. He's talking here, I believe, about ultimate stumbling and falling. He is, as we'll see in a few minutes, he's going to take care of you. He's going to preserve you. That, yes, you may trip. Yes, there may be times when your foot is caught, but ultimately you will not fall. The righteous man falls seven times, Proverbs says, but rises again. That he is the one who has his untiring eye on you. We were... We had the privilege of having breakfast a couple of days at the bed and breakfast that we love to go to up in, in, uh, in Highlands. And, uh, and so the, our friends there invite us over, even when we stay in a cottage, that, to come over and have breakfast. And, and a lot of times they'll do that so that we can meet other people that are having breakfast, that are staying in the B&B. And so 
we met a delightful couple, Billy and Deborah, and uh, had a wonderful conversation with them. They're Christian people that uh, have gone through some great difficulty this past year. He is a small business owner. He has a, his company that he actually has a, a sort of a manufacturing uh, building on his land, and then he keeps some of his products that he works on and produces in a garage. And uh, uh, there had been a fire that destroyed his garage and destroyed a lot of uh, the material that he had made, and, uh, and the insurance company would not cover it. And it was a devastating fire. And when, he, when we first met him the first day, uh, we introduced ourselves and asked you know, how they're doing and how, how did they like This was their first time at the B&B. How did you like it? So we loved it. And Billy said, I slept nine hours last night. That's the first time that's happened in a long, long time. I have great difficulty sleeping. As a small business owner who's gone through what he's gone through, uh, his mind gets caught up in stuff. And you know what that's like. Uh, you may have, even this past week, because of so much on your mind, you couldn't go to sleep. And you were worrying about stuff. You were concerned about stuff. You were feeling overwhelmed. Uh, he certainly was overwhelmed of what... Uh, they had been through. Uh, but he was talking about how thankful he was he had had that night and that night's rest. And so the point here is that God is the one who takes care of you and me. Look over in Psalm 127. <clears throat> Psalm 127, just a, a few pages over. And notice what it says here. Uh, maybe some of your concerns as you go into the new year, it may be physical or financial, uh, may be related to your home. Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So it's vain for you to rise up early or to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows. Why is that? For so he gives his beloved sleep. In fact, some translation says he gives to his beloved in their sleep because he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He has his eye on you and he is guiding you. He's upholding you. He is giving you a reason for stability with the realization that even if difficult times do come, uh, you will not ultimately, finally stumble and fall. He is the one who preserves. If you look uh, over in uh, look at Psalm 133. I read this and spoke on this at my mother's funeral back in early January of 18 because this represented, uh, I'm sorry, not 133, Psalm 131. Um, this is another song of ascent, and it was one that David wrote. And so I'm sure this was both personal for David, a personal testimony, as well as what these people sang together as a congregation. It says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself, myself with great matters, nor things too profound for me. In other words, you'll never be able to fully figure life out and figure God's work out. That's, that's part of what Ecclesiastes is about. He said eternity in our hearts, and we can't fully comprehend it. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child my soul is my soul within me. O Israel, 
Hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. We can sleep because God does not sleep. Psalm 4.8, David said, and, and, it's, and it's said in the midst of a psalm about military problems and attack. He was under attack, and he says, I will both lay down and sleep, for you, O Lord, cause me to dwell in safety. Now, this is a king whose city and people are under attack, and he says, I will lay down and sleep, for you, Lord, let me dwell in safety. God already knows what's ahead. He never sleeps, he never slumbers, he sees and he knows what's ahead, and he's there to help and provide. In fact, do you know that the word provide is from two Latin words, provide, means to see beforehand. He sees it beforehand, and he has it taken care of beforehand, and so he can be trusted. So, as a summary, as we look ahead to this year, let's rest under the watchful eye of a loving God. He cares for you. He has his eye on you, and he never sleeps, he never slumbers, he never gets tired, he never runs out of energy. So while we sleep, he's still at work. And then we're reminded here in these next verses is that we help, have a help from a God who is a protector. It says in verse 5, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. And I know my wife is thinking right now, what about the left hand? My wife is left-handed. And, uh, but the idea is that he, he is your protector. He is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day or the, nor the moon by night. And you have to say, well, what is that? I've, I've never been slapped in the face by the sun or the moon as far as I know. And uh, so we'll, we'll think about that in just a moment. But uh, the word keep there is a key word. It's the word shamar. And uh, it, it means to guard, it means to protect, uh, but it's, it's more than that. It means to watch over carefully. That God not only just sees what's going on, as we saw in the previous verses, but he's intimately involved in what's going on. And he not only has his eye on you, he has his hand around you and under you and over you. In fact, you read through the Psalms and you'll find that idea of the hand of God is, is just like that, under you with you and over you. And so it reminds me of of the time when my children were little, and one of the things I I just loved to do when my kids were little is to go on a walk with them and and have them hold my hand. Sometimes they would just reach up and hold my hand because they wanted the security. Sometimes they didn't want me to hold their hand, and I had to hold it much tighter. You know what that's like. But there's something incredibly moving about the hand of a child and the hand of the father. And that's the picture of of our God, our protector. He is one who attends to us carefully. He holds us in his hand. He has us by the hand. And John says nothing can pluck us from his hand. Now this is particularly meaningful for the people in that day. Uh, when it speaks about the Lord being your shade on your right hand, if you've ever been to Israel, you know that it's, it's a pretty barren kind of place. There, there, there are oases uh, in Jericho and other places, but it is pretty wide open and rocky and somewhat brown, except for some certain places that have been very well irrigated and, and developed. Uh, but uh, you're exposed to the heat quite a bit. And when you were traveling in that 
part of the world in that day. You were exposed to the elements of heat and even, even desert-like conditions during the day. And at night, you were exposed to the cold and, and, and potential thieves. Uh, they did not have 911. You didn't have phones you could call and, and get help if something was going on. There was no county sheriff that you could turn to. When you travel through the countryside, uh, you were exposed to danger. You remember the story in the New Testament of the Good Samaritan and, and the, the, the Samaritan who was, who was on the, the man who was on the road uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem or, or vice versa. And, and then uh, the Samaritan came by and took care of him. He, he, he experienced an attack uh, on that open road where it's, it's, if you've ever seen, you can Google it and ask a look for the road to Jericho, you'll see that it's a narrow path, and it's curvy, and it's elevated, and plenty of places for thieves and hoodlums to hide and attack. And so they were exposed to these kinds of things. They didn't have the kind of uh, movement that you and I have in cars that are protected and air-conditioned. Uh, they, they were out in the countryside. They couldn't call on anybody. And so this would be much more meaningful to them when it says, he's your shade on your right hand. And the sun will not strike you by day, the moon by night. The, the idea is that day or night, uh, the Lord is watching over you, and he is your refuge. He's taking care of you. You can run to him. You can grab his hand, or you can uh, realize in your uh, mind's eye that he, uh, you, he has his hand over you, uh, that he is taking care of you. He's protecting you. He not only is the creator of the universe who has all the power to help, he's not only seeing everything that's going on in your life and it's never tiring, but he actually has you by the hand. He is taking care of you. He's your refuge. In fact, if you look in, uh, in Psalm 18, uh, this powerful, repetitive statement about just how thorough God's protective hand is and Psalm 18 uh, verse 1, it says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield, the horn of my salvation, the horn being an animal horn that is to reflect or illustrate power. He is the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So I will call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. That's looking ahead saying, because of who the Lord is to me, I know that he's going to take care not only of me, but those who concern me. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Psalm 46, verse 1. So, that being true, as we look ahead this year, let's take refuge in the protection of the hand of a loving God. Let's take refuge there. When, when, when things are, are troubling and hurtful and harmful or they look dangerous or uncertain, the thing to do is run to Him. Don't first run to somebody or something else, but run to Him and call on Him. And continue to do that and dwell under his protective hand and believe his promises. See, that's what the Christian life is about from the beginning to end. We believe that Christ died for us and rose again. We believe the testimony of Scripture verified by the resurrection. 
and the fulfilled prophecy of Scripture. We take him at his word and we say, I believe Christ died for me. I know I am unworthy. I know that there's nothing I could ever do that would qualify me for heaven, that would cause me to measure up to the righteous, perfect demands of a holy God. I could never earn his forgiveness. I'm totally disqualified for that, but I have one who qualified on my behalf, the perfect Son of God who died for me and rose again. And I can trust Him. I can lean on Him. I can depend on Him completely for eternal life and eternal forgiveness. He's promised it. He gives it. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy. He saves us. He is our salvation also. He is our refuge. He's our fortress. Not because we are worthy, but because of who He is. And He provides that for us. My wife likes to say, if I can believe that God can take me from this earth through the vehicle of death into heaven eternally, and I can count on that, I can state that I believe it, and I'm, I'm banking my life and my eternity on it, then why can I not trust him for right now, for today? And so uh, here's a God who is your protector, your refuge, one you can run to. And so if you can trust him for eternity, how about trusting him for right now? And that leads us to the, these last two verses here where it says, The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. Uh, that could be translated life. He shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. Now, this statement The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. That's neither naivete nor hyperbole. This is exactly what it means. But we need to understand what it means in context. We know that he's he's not saying that you'll never have trouble. That when you look ahead to this year, then everything's going to be copacetic. Everything will be fine. That's not what he's saying, and we know that because... Other songs of ascent that these Jewish people sang as they went up to the temple spoke about trouble and heartache and difficulty. In fact, back uh, to uh, Psalm 123, just uh, one, one or two psalms over, verse 3 says, Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. In other words, these people had folks that mocked them, made fun of them, and even did more than that, went so far as to attack them and wanted to destroy either the people within Israel who were believers or the nation itself. You can look also over in verse one, uh, chapter 124 again, verse 1 through 5. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel now say, if the Lord had not been on our side, when man rose up against us, then we would have, they would have swallowed us alive with their wrath Uh, when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then swollen waters will have gone over our soul. Notice the repetition of of thought there. That's Hebrew poetry. And so what they're saying here is that they know that they have a God whose help is of an eternal kind, not a circumstantial kind. Yes, things may be up and down, but ultimately... Ultimate evil will not overtake you. There may be trouble. What we might call bad things may happen in life, but that can never separate you from 
the eternal love and care and help of God. That's what Psalm 120, rather Psalm 23 says. When it says, yes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not if I do, but as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That is ultimate bad. Because the Lord is the one who preserves. You see? He says, he will preserve you from all evil. He will preserve your soul. He shall preserve your coming in and your going out. That is the whole scope of your activity of life, both now and through this next year and throughout life. You're going, going in, going out, uh, all your activities, the Lord is involved in it, and he is actively preserving you. Not just protecting you, but he, there are things that we, we think of the difficulty that we have experienced. How much has God kept us from experiencing that we're not even aware of? He says he will preserve you from all evil. Interesting, the word preserve is repeated three times there because, again, that's Hebrew poetry. It's repeating the idea to drive it home. Uh, But it's the same word as keep that you find in the earlier verses. And so six times this word is used, this concept is used in this passage that God guards, protects, he, he guides, he has his hand on you, he's watching over you, he's protecting you, and in all that, he is preserving you. He's given you his promises to preserve you. We're not preserving ourselves. I know there's a, sometimes in some theological circles an emphasis on the perseverance of the saints. Uh, the, the, the emphasis should be on the preservation of God for the saints. Uh, because you and I don't persevere very well, do we? We don't continue on as well as we should but the Lord is unchangeable both in time and in character he is the eternal God we have his help and he is preserving us the question is as we go into this new year are we going to believe that it's always a question of who am I going to believe am I going to believe the testimony of scripture verified by the resurrection and fulfilled prophecy the great creator and designer Or am I going to believe my circumstance or what people around me say, what culture is pressing in on me? Who am I going to believe? Here's the testimony of the Apostle Paul when he was at the end of his life, not too long before he was executed for his faith. So he certainly didn't believe that uh, the Lord would preserve him from all evil in the sense that nothing bad would ever happen on human terms. But here's what he did say. In 2 Timothy 1.12, it says, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded, I'm totally convinced, that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. Until the day the Lord returns, or the day he returns, he goes to be with the Lord. I'm persuaded, I'm convinced. I know whom I believed. I know he's trustworthy. I know his character. I know what he's promised. I... Paul's mind was filled with the Old Testament truths of Scripture, and I'm sure of these psalms, of songs of ascent. So, what about you and me? What about people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, day, in, the, in the time of Daniel? When they were actually confronted with Nebuchadnezzar and said, look, you either deny your faith or change your faith, is really what they were wanting him to do, uh, or you're going to get thrown into the fire furnace. Heated seven times hotter. 
And so they're standing there. This is not a story. This is not mythology. These people, these human beings, were standing there confronted with a choice. What are you going to believe? And they're facing a furnace. They're facing a king who was the most powerful man on earth at that time. And he's telling them, you either deny your faith, change your faith, or you're going to be thrown in there. And they said, well, here's what we believe. We believe that if we're thrown in there, God is able to preserve us and protect us. But if he chooses not to, we're still going to stand with him. Because they, they were persuaded that this was true. And so whatever is ahead for you and for me this year, we have a God that is eternal in his care and protection and preservation and help. So we can release ourselves to the ultimate care and security of an eternal God. So let's lift our eyes beyond the earth, beyond the hills, beyond mere human help, as much as that can be needed, and and often the way God uses his method of helping. Uh, But lift our eyes to the eternal God, who sees all things, who has us in his hand, who promises to protect us, who gives us help that is literally out of this world. Now, as we move ahead, even into this week, all kinds of things are going to come pressing in. It'll be easy to forget this. So we need to build in reminders. We may even need to ask somebody else to help us remember when we get fretful and upset. But I do believe that we need to make the affirmation that these people were making in song at that time and say, I will. That's how it opens. I will. I will lift up my eyes to the hills, but beyond the hills, where does my help come from? The Lord, the very maker of heaven and earth.